0: Well, good morning. good morning. Welcome to those who are joining us online this morning. I want to start today uh, with a confession. I can never get myself to watch the Olympics. I just get way too emotionally invested because I know for those athletes, their whole life has been leading up to these 20 seconds, and I just can't stand if something goes wrong. Because I know for many of the people in that competition, being the best, doing their best, is what they have been groomed to see as their sole reason for their existence on Earth. And if those 20 seconds are not what they hoped, if that one moment out of millions of moments in their lives, they fail, oh, the humanity. I just can't take it. (laughs) Comparison, competition. Are they good? Are they bad? The answer is yes. They can be either. Where competition is about you facing down the obstacles that are in your path or competing against your own best past, it can be really motivating. And it can also be inspiring to others to help them achieve things that they didn't know that they could also achieve through the inspiration of healthy competition. And there are some personalities that really need that type of boost to imagine what's possible for them to grow into what they can become. And in that light, Competition can bring out a desire for excellence, inspire us to set goals and to grow. And I think at its best, that's what the Olympics is meant to be, to inspire us. But there are also very many times, I think actually more times in this life, when competition and comparison can become a tool of the one who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. When the answer to that question, who's the best, starts to determine our own sense of self-worth. And that starts young. A few years ago, I was with a friend and her daughter and listening to a pre-Olympic competition on the TV behind us. And in the event, the women were competing, and my friend explained to her daughter, the winner will get the chance to compete at the Olympic Games. Isn't that great? And not seemingly all that impressed, the daughter's only response was, yeah, but which one's the prettiest? (laughs) Comparison? and competition. They shape our thoughts about what makes us valuable by measuring us up against someone else. Now, that's a very effective sales technique that the world uses to drive us toward products that promise to help us measure up to honestly unreachable ideals. But is that what God wants for us? Have you ever noticed that two out of the ten commandments are about comparing ourselves to others? Nine and ten. Don't covet your neighbor's stuff, Don't covet your neighbor's relationships. But you very rarely hear anyone talk about the sin of comparing, do you? But when God says no to something, it's for a reason, and that reason is his love for us. What does it do in us to always be looking at what other people have? What does it do to our relationship with God or with other people? The truth is nothing kills joy in a human being faster than comparing them with someone else. You might be smart, funny, talented, compassionate, a good listener, or a good friend, but when you start comparing yourself to someone else, it's very easy to lose the joy of those gifts, isn't it? Or just as dangerous to get puffed up about the value of your own gifts. Comparison can lead us into two dishes very easily. To sinful pride, allowing the feeling that you are worth more than someone else to lead you to devalue others, or the sin of self-hatred leading you to devalue the gifts that God gave you. Neither one is good. So is there another option? Enter Galatians 6. Galatians 6.4 says, Each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. See, it's a strange kind of misconception out there that God is happiest when we feel bad about ourselves. (laughs) That's really not God's goal. It is okay to feel good about yourself. In fact, it can be God-honoring because God is the one who gave you your unique gifts to use in the world. God calls us to be consistent, genuine people who use the gifts that we are given no matter what other people are doing. And there's a freedom in that, and it's found in the Lord's love for you. Godly pride is a humble kind of pride because it's centered in gratitude knowing the gifts that you have are an extension of God's love for you for the sake of the world, that you are the MVP of your own specific corner of God's team for the people in your life. It's God-honoring to take pride in what you do well. It's honoring the work of God in you. But pride turns ugly and damaging, though, when it's built from comparing yourself with or against someone else. And that's when we fall into those ditches I was talking about. Take a look at this parable Jesus tells his disciples in Luke 18. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and one a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. Now, what was the tax collector measuring himself against? God. (laughs) He knew that he had been disloyal, that he had cheated people. He knows that he needs God's mercy, and so he asks for it. His eyes are not on anyone else, just on God. And in contrast, who is the Pharisee measuring himself against? The tax collector. As long as I'm better than him, I'm good. <laughs> and that kind of made me think of a joke, the old joke about the two men who are out camping and the bear crashes into the camp. And one man immediately puts on his running shoes and the other says, Do you think you're going to outrun a bear? And the first says, I don't have to, I just have to outrun you. <laughs> Somehow, to the Pharisee and this parable, the righteousness of a holy God has just become the bear in this analogy. If I can just keep running all the faster than all the other sinners around me, I'll stay in the clear. If I can just throw them in his path, God won't even notice my sin. The problem with that, of course, is that he has a completely upside-down view of who God is and what God wants. God isn't looking for people to devour. He's looking for people to redeem, to make new to invite into a relationship with himself that's shaped by his grace. So while the Pharisee is busy trying to throw the tax collector under the bus, the tax collector is already throwing himself upon the mercy of the Father, and he is the one who is lifted up. Jesus says, I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. So the real question is, where is our focus? What is at the center of our picture of God? Because the truth is, all the things that the Pharisee talks about are not bad things. In fact, they're things that Jesus speaks of having a good spiritual impact on us when done for the right reasons. Tithing, fasting, prayer, all good things. These are things that we often intentionally lean into in the season of Lent as we seek to grow deeper in our relationship with the Lord. But if we're doing these things because we think we're winning spiritual points over other human competitors for God's affections, we miss the whole point of doing them. Our worship then becomes centered on us rather than Him, centered on what we achieve rather than the grace of Jesus for us. So in case I have to spell it out, self-worship is bad. (laughs) When we make ourselves the object of our worship, we turn away from the one who is the source of life and the grace that we need. Example, Pharisee. And I think it's kind of easy for us to recognize that one, but honestly, the other ditch, the one that comes out like self-hatred, can actually be a harder one for us to repent of and turn away from and leave behind for the sake of God's joy. Because the truth is, our worship is our attention. And whether you're spending all your time thinking about how good you are or how bad you are, you're still thinking about you, right? And our life is not found in looking to ourselves but to God. The corrective to pride is not looking down on yourself. It's looking away from yourself, to Jesus. Jesus is not telling us we should be down on ourselves, just honest with ourselves, Humility is about being able to see yourself in the proper light as one who is imperfect, habitually sinful, who needs the grace of God, and who in his mercy lives in it. Our prayer is, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. A subject of that sentence is God. The action is God having mercy. The object of the mercy is you, and it's me. Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. You can't bear fruit apart from me. And we know that, and yet the very first question we ask is, yeah, but whose fruit is the best? (laughs) Wrong question. Are you connected to the vine? That's all you need to worry about. When you are, he's going to grow the fruit that he wants in you. And nobody got stuck on this more than Jesus' disciples. The disciples were always getting derailed, asking Jesus, who's the best? It seems like every major fight they have is about this. They were a very diverse group, all pulled together by Jesus. And they're constantly wondering, why did Jesus call that guy? I've got to be better than him. Jesus, tell me, who's better? My sister and I used to do this with our pictures. When we were kids, did you ever do this? You each draw a picture, you make something, you go to mom and dad, and you say, which one's better? (laughs) And what do they always say? I like them both. (laughs) Never what we wanted to hear. And in the same way, Jesus is constantly trying to redirect his disciples from that question of best until finally he tells them, the greatest among you is the servant of all. If you need to find out who's best, tell you what. Why don't you throw all of your energy into trying to outdo each other and how generous you can be, how giving, how servant-hearted? Because Jesus knows once you get into that, it won't be long before you forget you were trying to win something. (laughs) And instead, find yourself changed. And Peter is the perfect example of this struggle. Before the crucifixion, like the Pharisee in the parable, when Jesus tells his disciples that they will all abandon him, Peter is immediately up boasting, everybody else might abandon you, but I won't. I'm not like them. And Jesus tells him point blank, Peter, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat. And I have prayed that your faith will not fail. And when you turn back, strengthen your brothers. Did you hear that? When you turn back. He knew that Peter would fail. But he prayed that his faith would not fail. That he would trust God's love even past his failure. That he could trust God's forgiveness and faithfulness beyond anything he deserved. And having experienced that, he would be able to minister to others out of a true understanding of the power of grace for one who is broken. It wasn't about him being the best. It was about him trusting the grace of God was enough to redeem and restore everyone, even him. And on that shore, after the resurrection, Jesus does restore him, three times asking him, Do you love me, Peter? Feed my sheep. And each time Peter had denied him, Jesus gives this question. Jesus then tells him that one day he would die a martyr's death because of his faithfulness. That's not a punishment, just the way that the world would respond to his message, as Jesus well knew. And in this moment, as Peter is taking all of this in, he turns around and he sees John, his closest competitor for number one disciple, and he cannot resist asking one last time, what about him? (laughs) How does his future compare to mine? Is mine better? And you can just about hear the frustration in Jesus' reply. If I want him to live until I return what is that to you? You must follow me. All of this is to say, comparing yourself to anyone else is dumb. (laughs) Just look around. Nobody else is you. You have a different calling than they do. You're equipped for a different purpose. Jesus says, what is that to you? You follow me. Our gifts are not meant to be compared. God doesn't care who's best at something. God cares that you use what you have been given. Each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. Test your actions, yes, because your actions do matter. Paul isn't saying just do whatever you want. That's not helpful. Our actions bless or curse. They build or they tear down. So yes, test them but test them to see if they're honoring to your Savior, if they magnify Christ, not if they look like everyone else's. The verses in Galatians 6 that lead up to what we just read are all about that, that as we grow in testing our own actions, we also grow in being able to help our fellow Jesus followers to test their own, not because we're in a place to judge them, but because we know in a trusted community we all will need help being redirected sometimes. Galatians 6.1 says, Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you may also be tempted. Carry each other's burdens. And in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks they are something when they're not, they deceive themselves. So this is basically saying, if someone stumbles, restore them. Gently carry their burdens, walk that path with them, remembering next time it's probably going to be you. It does not say, point your finger at them, judge them, insult them, and cancel them. If that's what you heard in this passage, I suggest you go back and read it again. (laughs) This is all about being a community of grace who, recognizing when we get off course, will help each other get back on our feet and see the perfect grace of Jesus that is for us all. And that's when it, what comes right before that passage that you just heard. Each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. For each should carry their own load. Nevertheless, the, less, the one who receives instruction in the word should share all good things with their instructor. So yes, take responsibility for your own journey by all means. But if God shows you something that's going to be of help to someone else, share it. And it goes on in verse 7. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Our actions have consequences. Whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not be weary in doing good. For at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people. Especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Because we live in a broken world where our actions do have consequences, both for us and for the people around us, we are to try to be the first to do good to each other and for each other, and the first to confess and repent when we don't. Because sometimes we won't. And God knows that, He knows the heart. And he wants to have a fertile soil to create good things growing in us. And in this process, we're not called to throw each other under the bus. (laughs) That doesn't do anyone any good. But simply to be honest with what needs healing in ourselves, and like Christ, to do what we can to help others walk with him and his grace when they fall. Because the truth is, if nothing kills our joy faster than comparing our gifts Nothing feeds our joy more than using them. So how do we fight this sin of comparing? Well, I'd like for you to take a moment and imagine the kind of person, or maybe an actual person, that you often compare yourself to, that you envy. What is it about them that you want to be? Is there any kind of positive inspiration for your growing that you can take from that? Or does that comparison lead you to despair, fixate on your faults? Now, in confession, give that over to the Lord. Take your eyes off them, turn your eyes upon Jesus. And now ask Him to show you some of the gifts He has given you. How does He use who you are to bless people? Are you connected to the vine? If so, know there's going to be fruit, whether you see it or not. And then finally, confess the things that cause you to want to compare your positive attributes to someone else's negative ones. (laughs) What tempts you to want to see yourself as superior? Why do you do this? When do you, like the Pharisee, see someone else's faults and then point and say, Now who's the greatest, Jesus? It's time to lay that down, beloved. Because you already know the answer to that question. <laughs> Who is the greatest? Jesus is. The greatest among us is the servant of all. He is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. He is the servant and the king. He is the sacrifice and the savior. He is the compassionate good shepherd who patiently hears your confession and mine and with love gently follows up with a question and an invitation. What is that to you? You follow me and beloved do because he is the way and the truth and the life. And he loves you with a love that is beyond compare. From the first step to the last, from the first breath to the last, nothing will ever compare to what he freely offers you in his amazing grace. Galatians 6, 14 through 15 says, May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Because Jesus plus nothing equals everything. You already have all that you need in him. So turn your eyes upon Jesus and joyfully, in the grip of the greatest of all, who holds you in his redeeming love, follow where he leads you. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you know people, that you know our hearts, that you know the things that trip us up, those ditches that we can fall in when we want to compare ourselves to other people. But Lord remind us today that you have called each and every one of us your own that you have things that you want to do in us and through us that are only meant for us because your life laid down Lord for us all was also meant for each of us so Lord help us as we follow after you to have confidence in your grace to learn like Peter did that all that matters in this witness in this life is remembering and showing that you are the God who restores the broken. God, have mercy on me, a sinner, as you lift us up moment by moment, day after day, to show us the beauty of your grace. All these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.